There are not going to be any more Fantastic Beasts movies, and there is no Harry Potter film or TV development. It is currently dead in film and TV. Rowling and Warner Brothers are incentivized to get this going again. The question is how. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, November 15th, and today, Matt Bellany is here to talk about Harry Potter. You heard that right. David Zaslov at Warner Brothers Discovery wants to kickstart the movie franchise once again. But as Matt tells me, that could be a little more complicated than waving a magic wand. And later, Tina Wynn is here to discuss Donald Trump's entry into the 2024 race and the political game theory behind his possible showdown with Ron DeSantis. We'll hear about all that and more in today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am, I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for Powers That Be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot M-E slash powers, because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I'm joined today by the prolific, well-sourced, and extremely handsome Matt Bellany to talk about Harry Potter. Uh, Matt, are you House Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, or Slytherin? Do you know? I haven't done a check lately. I'd probably guess Slytherin, judging by my proclivities. <laughs> uh, but I'm not really a Quidditch player at all. I never watched the Harry Potter movies, didn't read the books until lately. I watched the first one with Katie, and then we did the test. And I am a Gryffindor, uh, which I'm proud of. Good for you. So you have a piece up on Puck about Harry Potter movies, the franchise. And David Zaslov, we call him Zaz here at Puck, announced on an earnings call last week that he'd really like to do something, quote, something with JK on Harry Potter going forward. We haven't done a Harry Potter movie in years. That feels challenging. Um, One, why do you think that made Zaz look a little silly? And then two, are they going to actually make more Harry Potter movies? Because I thought JK Rowling got canceled. 
Uh, okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, the the fact that that Zaslav just dropped this on an earnings call, like, hey, you know, we'd love to do more <laughs> Harry Potter. I think people at Warner Brothers were laughing a little bit because, of course, they would. I mean, this has sort of been the singular focus of the studio for the last 10 years since Harry Potter ended in 2021. They wanted to replicate and extend that franchise and turn it from a franchise built around seven very popular books to a franchise that could potentially live forever set in this wonderful universe that she created with tons of different characters and ways to go. The problem with that is J.K. Rowling is still very much alive. This is not a, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien situation where you can negotiate with the estate and get the rights and then all of a sudden you're cooking on a TV show or movies or whatever you want to do. This is a woman who has tremendous control in this relationship and she has definite thoughts about the future of the franchise. They have gone to her over the years many different times with many different ideas. She authorized three Fantastic Beasts movies, two of which she wrote the screenplay to herself, which was part of the negotiated deal. She negotiated to get way more money on all of the movies going forward because she authorized these new movies. And this was envisioned as a five-movie series. But after three, it sort of fizzled out creatively and financially. And I feel like the stars of the movie, Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, have not only gone on to like do other things and probably, especially in the case of Daniel Radcliffe, like, don't necessarily want to be branded as like, hey, you're Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was certainly the case when the movie series ended. I mean, if you saw the choices that he was making, he made a lot of like racier movies and he very much distanced himself from playing that character. They've also made comments, both he and Emma Watson, about J.K. Rowling and her controversy. I mean, she is very much a radioactive personality now because of her comments about trans people. She believes very strongly in biological sex, and she's doubled down on these comments that have been perceived as anti-trans. And both Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson came out against her, or at least came out in favor of the things that she has been saying negative things about online. So that's another issue. But the question I have, which I pose in this piece, is if you are running Warner Brothers right now, you have to try to restart this franchise in some way. It is currently dead in film and TV. There are not going to be any more Fantastic Beasts movies, and there is no Harry Potter film or TV development going on right now. So what do you do? I mean, obviously, it's hugely successful in the theme parks, live experiences. You walk around my neighborhood in Halloween. Half the kids seem to be dressed as one of the Potter characters. It's a very strong franchise. The books are still really big. It's just not in film or TV. So both Rowling and Warner Brothers are incentivized to get this going again. The question is how. And I pose that there's something sitting right there that is very successful, and it's Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. What is that? <laughs> That's the very successful Broadway play that started in London and is now playing on Broadway. It was originally five and a half hours. You know, the, some of the fans love it. Some don't love it. It's a little controversial in the Potter world. But Rowling herself came up with the story. She didn't write the book. And it's sitting there for an adaptation. And so far, the producers of that play have been reluctant to do a movie adaptation. And Warner Brothers would very much like to do two movies. You write that Warner Brothers Discovery has new captains of their, their film 
business, Michael DeLuca and, and Pam Abdi? Like, so what do they have to do to turn that into reality? Well, first of all, it revolves around rolling. So it's a full court press to get her to agree to something. She put a lot of creative juice into Fantastic Beasts. It's pretty clear that that is not working. The most recent movie that came out in July is the first Potter or rolling movie to be unprofitable. It grossed about $400 million on a production budget, more than $200 million. Uh, that's not good enough to keep a franchise going. And the fans don't really like it. It's just kind of a slog. So what do you do? And You have to go to her. You have to get her on board, just like all these executives in the history of Warner Brothers have done. Each time there's a problem, they get in their plane and they travel to Scotland or they go meet her guy in London and they try to convince her to do something. She's so far been reluctant to do any TV shows. She has only authorized these Fantastic Beasts movies. They haven't been able to get a Cursed Child adaptation off the ground. That has to be the priority now. If you're Zaslav, you're on a plane to London or to Scotland. All right, we'll see if that happens. Matt, um, make sure you go on and, and take the Potter test. There's a J.K. Rowling approved website. I forget the name, but I would like to know if you're a Slytherin. And then we can talk about this more. All right. I, I promise to do that. If I, if I might have to vaporize you afterward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wizards. All right, man. Have a great week. You too. When we come back, Ben Landy asks Tina Wynn, what's going to happen to the Republican Party when Donald Trump announces his 2024 presidential race? Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. 
Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be. netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Welcome back. I'm Ben Landy, joined in the studio by our very own Tina Wynn. Hi, Ben. I am so stoked. This is the first time we've <laughs> actually taped a podcast together face-to-face. Um, for people who don't know, I've actually worked with Ben for about seven years, so it's really good to see him in the office again. Tina is usually in Washington, D.C., so it's very nice to have her in New York for change. Mm-hmm. So we're recording this on Monday afternoon, and close observers and fans of the podcast will know that uh, our episodes usually drop at midnight Pacific. But we assume, or at least we, we think we know, that Donald Trump tomorrow will be announcing that he's running for president. He's been signaling this run for a long time. But Tina, I want to talk to you about the Ron DeSantis of it all. Mm-hmm. Because the big political and media narrative, of course, is that Trump essentially lost the midterms. He has at least taken the blame for that from a number of people, especially from party elites who who want to point the finger at him. They've been pointing the finger at Trump for putting his finger on the scale for a number of low-quality kind of wacko candidates that might have lost them the Senate. That might be reductive, but the narrative is powerful and it's also opportunistic for Ron DeSantis and people who want Ron DeSantis to be the presidential candidate in 2024. But are, are you bullish on DeSantis's odds with the party elites in his corner or do you sense that this is sort of the beginning of the 2016 narrative cycle all over again, where there's excitement around these establishment candidates who just inevitably get bulldozed once Trump steps into the arena? I don't know if you can really compare 2016 to 2024. First of all, Donald Trump had the element of surprise coming in. He busted in through the door going, everything here is corrupt. I am the guy you should be following. He had this novelty around him that this 15 or so other quote unquote establishment candidates just couldn't generate. They just had no idea how to deal with him. So they crumpled super easily. I don't know if you remember that one 2016 debate where Trump just decided to not show up and Ted Cruz goes on stage and goes, well, now that he's not here, I'm going to insult all the other candidates. Ha 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 ha. And then he lost pretty badly to Trump because none of them could match him. I think if DeSantis goes up against Trump, which seems pretty likely at this point, but I don't think he'll announce until somewhat into his next term. If he goes up against him, my read on the situation is that he is just going to campaign as if Donald Trump is just a distraction, doesn't exist right now. His team is so disciplined, like they will never say anything bad about Donald Trump just because they don't really want to respond to him. If you watch his campaign spokeswoman, Christina Pushaw, who's famous on Twitter for just going after any sort of liberal, any sort of never Trump or any sort of MAGA apostate, Trump went hard on DeSantis right before the election, calling him desanctimonious and threatening his wife. And she said nothing. And her entire deal is to fight back against people who are attacking Ron DeSantis, except Donald Trump. On the one hand, you could say, wow, this is going to get all the diehard Trump supporters on Trump's side and they're going to attack DeSantis, too. On the other hand, the people who want to have Donald Trump as president will always be on Trump's side. DeSantis is going for that middle ground of people who were okay with Trump and liked having him in office, but don't like when he goes up against 
people who are promoting a populist agenda. Um, this is anecdotal as hell, but I was kind of floating around the Twitter sphere and in these um, popular subreddits where MAGA supporters and populists and Republicans all convene. And so many people, I kid you not, were going, look, I like DeSantis. I like Trump. I liked what Trump did for the country, but he's going against his own people. He is attacking Ron DeSantis, who has never done anything bad to him. And I was like, oh, my God, that's it. Like the reason that Republicans are on Trump's side is because he likes to fight against his enemies. Ron DeSantis has never positioned himself as, quote unquote, an enemy. He is just someone who ignores Donald Trump. And that is, I think, his most powerful asset. If he can just tune Donald Trump out completely. That's interesting. I mean, obviously, the the game theory for both of these presumptive candidates for a while has been to not attack each other. They've stayed in their separate lanes. They've sort of avoided commenting on each other until very recently where Trump has started threatening DeSantis, Ron DeSanctimonious, which is sort of funny. But it's interesting to me that you called out the sort of competency gap between them. Obviously, the thing that appeals about DeSantis to party elites and to lots of Republicans is the idea that he can be a standard bearer for the America First agenda, taking the sort of like the Trumpy language and fitting that all in a more competent package. That he'll sort of be Donald Trump without the baggage. But there's also clearly a charisma gap, which is that Ron DeSantis is not Trump. He emulates Trumpism, but at the end of the day, he's sort of this cardboard cutout version of Trump that has none of the charisma or personality on the stage. And I'm I'm wondering how you have seen that reflected through the sources you talk to and even how they appear at rallies when you watch them going up against each other. I had the um, this interesting experience several months back where I saw DeSantis and Trump speak at the same event nearly back to back. DeSantis was on on Friday night. Trump was on on Saturday night. This was at Turning Point USA Student Action Summit. So this was like a very diehard MAGA crowd. They loved Trump. Like they would not sit down for him. They were just on their feet staring at the man until someone made them sit down. He was rambling as he does for about an hour and a half, almost two hours. And they hung on to every single word. And he just held that crowd a lot better in a much more tangible way than DeSantis did. He did like a tight 45. At the same time, I think the DeSantis gambit is he is competent. He knows what he's doing and he can enact the agenda that Trump has like promised for so long and just never has delivered on, especially in an off year where he could have consolidated his power by choosing people who were electable and then not celebrating the people who did win. Why would you go up against DeSantis if the guy won a state by 17 points? Why would you go up against Glenn Youngkin if the guy is a good Republican governor? You want someone there who can enact an agenda and Trump does not want anyone else who has demonstrated that they can. That is the competency gap that Republican voters are starting to wake up to. I think at the end of the day, they would rather see someone who knows what they're doing and in office and who can be a team player. Trump is not a team player right now. This is the first time I think Republican voters who really supported Trump but aren't culty about it. This is the first time I think that they're starting to see that reality. Well, that gets to the other big problem with DeSantis trying to challenge Trump. Obviously, we can see the party elite sort of mobilizing against Trump already, especially the Murdoch papers, the New York Post, the Wall Street Journal, even a number of anchors on Fox News have been sort of sounding the alarm that Trump lost him in the midterms. He's not necessarily the guy to carry the party through 2024. And look at DeSantis, the shiny new object. Everyone loves him. But the other like game theoretical issue for Republicans, of course, 
is that Trump, as you were saying, he has this 30% of the base that is so diehard, will probably support him no matter what. Maybe there are some signs that 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 is beginning to change. But if Trump can hold on to, say, 25, 30%, you could have the sort of replay of the 2015, 2016 cycle, where if the establishment candidates like DeSantis can't coalesce around a single person to go up against Trump, he divides and conquers the field. If it's DeSantis and Youngkin and Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, well, they divide up the rest of that pie and Trump can cruise through to the nomination once again. There is that possibility for sure, but I have a really, really hot take for a second. Go for it. So I've been looking at this polling. It was done by Hard Strategies. Trump definitely has like a 30, 30-ish percentage favorable rating among the base and then about 58% disapproval. DeSantis has 30% approval, like 30% disapproval, and then a big chunk of people who don't really know what he's about and probably want to know more about him. I don't think that there is going to be like a red-on-red violence thing between DeSantis and Trump. I think they've got their own stakes in the ground. I think they have their own camps. And I think DeSantis could easily sway voters who are looking for someone who's competent. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. Trump is announcing tonight at 9 p.m. If that has not happened already by the time you're listening to this. Tina, thanks for stopping by. Always good to see you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.